You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Behind the Curtain. While most radio hosts work off a teleprompter, I have always chosen to work the old-fashioned way, with a cue card man. And to the best of my knowledge, I think I might be one of the last North American radio broadcasters to still be doing so. And when people ask me, Jonathan, why don't you use a teleprompter like everyone else? The answer I inevitably give is that I prefer the human touch. For a man such as myself, so in need of camaraderie, the silent, tomb-like radio studio can be the loneliest place on earth. But the cue card man is the keeper of the crypt. And since I started working in radio, I've pretty much always worked with the same cue card holder, my good friend, Mr. Bud Barnett. Bud and I have been working together for the past two decades, and with his steady hand and good clean printing style, he's always helped me keep on top of my game. There's a special bond that exists between cue card man and on-air talent, and I guess you could even say that Bud's been sort of a good luck charm to me. In fact, right now, Bud is standing before me in the studio, holding the cards that I am reading to you at this very moment and he is carefully and silently turning the printed placards, as is his stock in trade. Now you will note that you cannot hear Bud whatsoever, and that right there is a testament to his greatness. For each radio cue card holder, as long as he or she is in the studio, must remain as silent as death. I should also mention that because the studio we use is so small, Bud has to stand pretty close to me. In fact, as I speak, Bud is standing no more than a few inches away from my face. He stands, or actually rather squats, so close that he often has to go 30 seconds at a time without breathing so as not to get any accidental wind noise on the microphone and thus screw up my timing. Now that silence you hear is the sound of professionalism, the sound of 40 years' experience. Bud turned 75 years old this week, and I know this is going to make him bashful, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'd just like to say that Bud Barnett has the kind of grandfatherly presence that makes me feel comforted and assured each week. Just the sight of his brown cardigan sweater as I walk into the studio is enough to calm my pre-show jitters. His blank stare is like a glass of warm milk, his silence a cashmere turtleneck. Even the smell of Bud's canoe aftershave when I walk into the studio makes me feel warm and nostalgic, makes me feel like I'm seven years old again, and I've just walked into the bathroom after my grandpappy Joe has finished using it. The musky odor of Bud Barnett turns the studio into a refuge, a place where I can undo my cufflinks, hang my cummerbund on the back of the chair, and truly be at my ease. And for a performer... There's really no better feeling than that. Now, the reason I'm raising the whole subject of Bud Barnett is because after today, Bud's retiring. And if I've got it right, he'll be heading off to live with his son Stephen and daughter-in-law Nancy in Rimouski, Quebec. And I understand from what Bud's told me that he'll have a room of his own with his own thermostat 
Right, buddy? And a big bright window overlooking an electrical tower. And I know that right there has got to be Bud's version of heaven because of his lifelong fascination with metal and cables of all sorts. With his imminent departure, I find myself in a reminiscent mood. Bud, do you remember the time I accidentally dropped my stone bust of Lord Byron on your foot? You, sir, did not utter a sound. While that on-air sign remained lit, not a mumble or a peep escaped your lips. An hour and forty-five minutes later, when my broadcast was done and the mic switch was safely turned off, Bud dropped his cards and sank to the floor like a ribbon. A screaming, yelling, weeping ribbon. That is professionalism. And as it turned out, you had broken your foot in like, what was it, like two or three places? Oh. Uh, what Bud is doing right now is he's blinking his eyes to indicate how many places his foot was broken in. Eight, nine, wow, ten places. That many. I should say that Bud spent three days in the hospital afterwards, and while I didn't get a chance to visit, I did have a bouquet sent. Gray hibiscus flowers, which are the closest to being the color of metal. And how Bud went on about those flowers, didn't you, Bud? He's told me numerous times that he still keeps the empty vase they came in right beside the hot plate in the room he rents at the men's hotel. Bud is staring at me right now with that great Bud intensity. Were Bud allowed to speak in the studio at this moment, I'm sure he would say, Yes, sir, you are right, sir, in that gruff, homesy voice of his. If he were not forbidden to nod his head in agreement, I'm sure he would be doing so right now with great vigor. But nodding creates undue motion to the cards, and that is a vocational no-no. Isn't that right, Bud? It's amazing. Bud's head is perfectly still. His eyes, only inches away from my own, are unswerving in their contact. He does not even blink. I must say, when you've been working with someone for as long as I've been working with Bud, there's a telepathic bond that comes to exist. And if I know my Bud, right at this very moment, he's probably thinking something along the lines of, I am going to miss this all so much. But this will also be a new chapter in my life. And I must be brave. As Bud moves into his mid-70s, he doesn't get around as quickly as he used to. Even though it now takes him almost 20 minutes to walk to the cafeteria to get me my afternoon fruit cup, and even though he keeps recommending guests for the show who have been dead for decades, he still aces in my book. With his departure, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I suppose I'll have to prop my script against a discarded stack of CDs or a medium-sized rock from my garden. But it won't be quite exactly the same. And so, old friend, it is with great sadness that I bid you a fond farewell. And it is in your honor that I dedicate today's program. And as a parting gift, I prepared a box set of my radio monologues so that you can still hear the work that you and I accomplished when you are yearnful for past glory. Folks, I can tell you right now, just by the way Bud is looking at me, astutely, piercingly, stabbingly, his eyes starting to well up and his face getting quite red, that his heart is overflowing with gratitude. 
if I may be so bold as to offer an interpretation, but is just trying to thank you, the listener, the recipient of his silent, invisible art, for your patronage. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that Bud is also trying to thank me for not only keeping him gainfully employed all these years, but most importantly, for being a friend and an inspiration. Wow. All I could say in response to that is, Bud, you are most graciously welcome. Oh, Bud, that's starting to slide a little. I can't... Bud, I can't see that your, your hand's covering the card. Okay, I can't, I can't, but I can't see that your, your hand's covering the card. But, but everything's slipping. But, but, I know this is emotional stuff, but I, I can't, but you're gonna have to keep your hand steady there. Keep the, keep those arms up in the stiff, but. Yeah, I can't see the next line, but. I can't see what's coming next. So, yeah, so this is back in Ottawa, and the local weatherman uh, didn't show up that day, and mm-hmm. I had only been a production assistant at that point, but um, they were really in a jam, and they asked me if I could read the weather on the air, and I said, okay. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty much, I guess, how I how I got into broadcasting. Um, why, why the sudden interest, anyway? Uh, hang on a second. So, so, so the weatherman, right? It was the weatherman who got... It was, yeah. Okay. Are you, are you writing this down? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just taking some notes here. I, I find this very, very fascinating. Really? Just, yeah. You've never. This is the first time you've ever asked me about any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just. This is just something I find very. Um, just, just want to move on for a second. Now, in relation to something a little more complex, mm-hmm. 
like your issue with bedwetting. What do you say that was something that continued like deep into your twenties, or was it? Wait, what are you talking about? What do you mean my issue with bedwetting? You had a bedwetting problem. I never had a bedwetting. What are you talking about? Okay, defensive. R E. Bedwetting. How I don't? I'm not a bedwetter. What 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 exactly are you doing? What are you doing? Quipped Goldstein. No, but quipped. Retaliated. Why are you writing this down? Okay, can you keep a secret? Because this is this is something confidential. Can you, okay, can you, yes, can you keep yeah. It, keep it lit. Mm-hmm. I'm writing a tell-all, unauthorized biography of Jonathan Goldstein. And 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 okay. And why are you doing this? I'm doing this to help prop up your career, to ensure you a, a long life in entertainment. I mean, you're nobody, you know, until you have a really smutty tell-all biography written about your life. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, can I ask you a question? Who? No one's going to want to pay money to read uh, a biography of me, Howard. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not an, that, 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 an, enough of a celebrity for that. Well, I don't think anyone's going to want to read a straightforward biography of you, like about your your history and broadcasting and you know your writing endeavors. And mm-hmm. but people will want to read a tell-all. Scandalous account of your life. Right, but you see, also, um, my life isn't very scandalous. It, 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 it isn't on paper, but, you know, I mean, the celebrities create scandal in order to, to help boost up their floundering careers. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you want to hear what I have so far? You've, you've, actually, you've actually started writing this. Oh, yeah, I got a few chapters down already. Already? Mm-hmm. Let's see what I have here. I have some chapter outlines. Chapter 2 covers cocaine abuse. Hustling on the Sunset Strip. You got skin tight jeans incident. Got some pages here on an edible complex. First teenage marriage to your mother's best friend. That was that's something that. But, uh, but the, I mean, doesn't it have to be true? I mean, even to some extent. You know, the day that 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 you'll find truth in journalism. You know, I mean, I'm going to run out into the street and, and shouting with joy. You know, what I mean, like this is this is not how the world works, John. Listen to this. <clears throat> Chapter three. From public broadcasting to public indecency. The years of substance abuse finally caught up with Goldstein that night. Even one police officer at the scene described the incident as the worst case of decadent Hollywood-style self-implosion he'd ever seen. The local paper reported, Goldstein lay half in, half out of the passenger seat, spilling out into the road. His face was caked in dry vomit and makeup. Okay, Howard, this, that's disgusting. Well, hang on. Right. And, 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 for, and, and why would I be wearing makeup if I work in radio? And one it, can, it doesn't even make sense. This is in your, this is in your, in your public life. This is outside, this, outside the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, where was I? His face was caked in dry vomit and makeup, and one can clearly see hints of cheap lingerie poking through his businessman suit. It, in an effort to write himself... The famed radio performer twisted his inebriated body further out of the car, only to be followed by several cascading empty Jägermeister bottles and a large bag of what was later revealed to be cold mushroom soup. Cold, cold mushroom soup? Can I continue? Yeah. Goldstein lay on the ground, looked up at the surrounding police and passers-by and slurred, It's okay, it's okay, we can fix this in the editing. But this was no radio segment. Goldstein spent the next year in lockup at blank, blank penitentiary. One night of debauchery sent the radio star from prime time to hard time. And this time, no one can change the station. What do you think of that? I think it's horrible. What, I mean, it doesn't even bear any verisimilitude, you know, to my... I mean, it has no bearing to my life whatsoever. Doesn't it, though? 
I mean, don't, no. you, don't you think that if you put your mind to it, you can kind of see some parallels between what I've written and, and your and your real life? Not really, no. Think about it, though. I, like, replace, you know, falling out of the car with Jägermeister mm-hmm. to falling off your armchair while watching late-night television, you know, with a bowl of mushroom soup that's turned cold. Right, no, that's... So I got some titles here. I'm not... I wrote the Wretched No Good Life of Jonathan Goldstein. Wait, hang on a second. Those are the titles of my bio? They're, they're suggested titles. I have thanks God for Howard, or thank God for Howard, or thanks God for Howard. Wait, wait, wait a second. You're, you're going to be a character in this thing also? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I made myself, uh, you know, I gave myself a crucial role in your life here. Oh, did you? I'm like the, you know, like I'm like the long-suffering friend, and, mm-hmm. and the guy who has to go and pick you up from, like, rehab, and, you know, you're stealing all my ideas for great sketches, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff, and some of the stuff I kind of based on parts I've kind of found in your in your diaries at home, what? And also what you, wait, 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 wait. What, what, what are you talking about? Oh, I just kind of availed myself to to some of your more private. What documents. do you mean you availed your? You stole my diary? I borrowed. Wait, wait, hang on a second. I, I was, Did I, I not ask you back for my key after that whole dog washing incident? Uh, I'm not sure which one I gave you back, but I still have a copy, and you have you have one, and I have one. You should always give a friend a key because you know if something should happen, you know, perish the thought of fire or something. You can call me and then I can go over. Okay, wait, hang on a second. Okay, Howard, you do not have my diaries. June 22nd. This is precisely why I could never wear a white rugby pants. Oh my, okay, okay, like, Howard. Oh, oh, right, okay, Howard, please. It's I, so puerile and, it, and, my God, you know, I mean, I, I mean, as a writer myself, it's funny, I can look at this stuff and I, and I would never guess that the person that wrote these words actually worked with words, you know, oh, they're, God. they're, journalistically speaking, you know, as my, my main source material, I mean, I find this stuff so flimsy and thin. I mean, you're talking about nothing. You know, I really had to kind of seek out more information. I, I, mm-hmm. I got some of your baby books from your mom and older yeah. diaries. And wait, hang on. you've talked you've talked to my mother. Yeah, she's very proud of you. I told her I was your biographer, and she just she just couldn't give me enough. I've got photos. Howard, have... you, you know, you can't falsely represent yourself like that. Yeah, I mean, but is... I mean, I needed this stuff. I mean, you can't. I can't write your biography just you know. Without having some kind of yeah, but it's all, but you're writing. I mean, everything you're it. writing is all lies anyway. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here, but you know, I, I was kind of envisioning like who would play you. You know, let's say for the film. You know. Oh really? Uh, I'm kind of thinking like a young Mia Farrow. Like, were that possible? You know, it would be perfect. You mm-hmm. know, and I can just picture with like the thick glasses, like a, a bespectacled, you know, young Mia Farrow. Mm-hmm. I know we're gonna get a settle on someone like you know Tony Shalhoub or Steve Buscemi or something like that. But I just it's just the way I see it. I don't know. Okay. Uh, like you. Know, if I may cite another example. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Goldstein's first public conflict of note was with the widely revered radio agent Harold Singer Bloom over lunch at a local roast chicken joint. The two were rumored to be close friends as well as business associates, supposedly filling their business meeting with professional massages, rum, nights at the racetrack, and more rum. Oh, but this afternoon at the chicken coop, the feathers would fly. Witnesses say the two were simply eating while going over documents spread before them on the table. Mm-hmm. For no apparent reason, Goldstein then struck the aging agent square in the nose, instantly rendering him unconscious. Staff rushed to restrain the now hysterical performer, leaving two waiters injured, one having received a chicken leg deep into his eye socket, and several thousand in damages. Okay, uh, you know... It's almost like police say that Goldstein refused to cooperate with officers at the station, insisting that he get to, quote, finish his chicken, unquote. See what I'm saying? And you think that's going to help my career? How can it not help your career? I mean, Jonathan, no offense, but right now you can slip right in the middle of the street and, like, kill someone and then shake hands with an alien and it wouldn't even make page one. It wouldn't even make the back page. 
because people are saying, who is John Goldstein? He's nobody. He's this, this stammering voice on the radio at God knows what time. But after this book, it'll be like, who isn't John Goldstein? Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, you think you're going to get a publisher? I've already got a publisher. It's called Mr. Photocopy. And Mr. Photocopy means it's me, all me, all the time. All the profits, all the responsibility, all the glory. You know what I'm saying? I'm the medium. You're the message. You understand? And where are you going to sell this? Well, I mean, I figured on your on your website. On my website? Well, I mean, it's your book. No, it's not my book. I'm, I, I'm, just, I'm just the vessel here. I mean, this is your book. This is your life we're talking about, John. And maybe it's time that you kind of put your career back on track. You're not Jim Morrison. No one's going to remember you in a romantic, beautiful way. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be W.C. Fields ugly. It, well, you're making it ugly. I make it ugly because without the ugly, you've got nothing. I mean, you have complete obscurity, or you have some ugliness, and, and then maybe after that, you can kind of make some beauty. If you write yourself first, if you can prove to me that you've straightened your act out, mm-hmm. then I can put it in the book. I mean, maybe there's some, maybe there are some things you can do that would maybe inspire me to write some of these nicer segments. You oh, know? really? Like what? What? What would that? What would I have to do? I mean, I don't know, you could try something as simple as, like, helping a friend, helping a friend in need. Oh, yeah. For example, like, you know, I, I have some moving that I need that. Oh, really? Yeah, I have a few mm-hmm. heavy objects that, that you know, I could, you know, I can use some help with for sure. That would, uh, you know, shine some, some positive light on your on your sordid image. Mm-hmm. I also have, you know, I also am free for dinner over the next couple of weeks. I don't really have any dinner planned. Oh, I see. All right. You want to have dinner? Okay. Is, that, is it? Yeah? Okay. This is good. All right. Here, for example, here, look, already. Look, chapter 7, Redemption. Moving boxes and dinner plans. You see, it sounds good already. Howard was deeply craving a bacon cheeseburger that night. Jonathan suggested otherwise, saying that maybe ground beef was not enough and suggested filet mignon filet mignon said Howard why you really are on the right track friend filet mignon wrapped in bacon Monte Carlo potato on the side every night Today's episode of Wiretap was written and performed by Howard Chakowitz and Jonathan Goldstein. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Mira Bertwintonic, Wendy Dore, and Carolyn Warren. Tune into Wiretap Sunday at 1 
4 Pacific Time, and Friday evening at 8.30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap. Dear Diary, I just came in from dinner with Howard. The only kind of cognac the restaurant had in stock was Courvoisier. Drat. As Somerset Mom once wrote, dying is a very dull, dreary affair. Well, the same might equally be said of dinner without the proper cocktail. The meat was a little more referred to as the Monte Carlo Manor, involved bacon and chives, and proved to be an excellent, if not slightly mischievous, bit of indulgence. During the course of our meal, Howard spoke at length about his latest shenanigans. The telemarketing scams. The idea he had for a mobile dog grooming business. God bless him. Fearing of Howard's monkey shines are a blessed respite from the pressures of workaday life. It is only with good friends that one can undo one's trust and breathe a grateful sigh of relief. After finishing our meal, as we got up to leave... Howard, who had accidentally tucked the tablecloth into the front of his trousers, caused a saucer of remoulade sauce to fall rather sloppily onto my lap. It is precisely this kind of occurrence, dear diary, that continually dogs me and makes my wearing of white pants an impossibility. I will have to scrub them clean before going to sleep, lest the stain city. Goldstein stumbled into the French restaurant late and drunk. Unshaven, sweating and trembling, his shirt peeked out from his open fly, and one can clearly make out vomit stains along his sleeves. God, he's blasted again, thought Howard. Over the years, Howard had been friend, nursemaid, confidant, and emotional punching bag to the ornery and washed-out radio host. He gently took the inebriated broadcaster by the arm and led him to the table. Waiter, a glass of water, please, for my friend. Water? shrieked Goldstein, so loudly that other diners jumped in their seats. The hell with that! Scotch! And bring the bottle, boy! He tore his arm free of Howard's gentle grasp and slumped into a chair, almost taking the entire table down with him. Eyes half-closed and slurring through spittle, he looked more dead than alive. Howard smiled, trying his best to conceal his embarrassment. The alcohol arrived, and in response, Goldstein's shaking hand shot back a tall glass of the amber liquid. Then another, and another. It was going to be a long night.